This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Steve Guglielmi, Editorial Director for Knowledge at Wharton. My guest today is Wharton Emeritus Professor Stuart Friedman, who has co-authored a book with Alyssa Westring from DePaul University on leadership and parenting. The book is titled Parents Who Lead, The Leadership Approach You Need to Parent with Purpose, Fuel Your Career, and Create a Richer Life. Stu, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. In the preface to your book, you and your co-author say that you want to bring the science of leadership to the art of parenting. In what ways can parenting be viewed as leadership? A lot of ways, surprisingly. Uh, What we have found is that it's useful, for example, for parents to have a clear sense of what their core values are and to be able to articulate those and to describe the source of those values in their own personal histories. The critical episodes that have shaped your values and beliefs, what are those and how do those lead you to stand for the things that you stand for, the things that are most important to you? To have a vision of the future and to be able to describe that is sort of the the sine qua non of, of leadership. Articulating your values, being able to describe a better tomorrow, a vision that your people, that is your family, and all the people who matter to you can get excited about and be inspired by, to develop trust with the people who matter most to you by understanding what they really need from you, and then to be able to adjust what you do and how you do it so that what you do every day is really serving the people around you as you advance toward that vision of the world you're trying to create. That's what leaders do. That's what parents do. Right. Uh, You include the stories of several parents uh, in your book who have worked with you on these issues. What are some of the common challenges you hear repeatedly? Well, as uh, Alyssa and I have been going around talking about this and continuing our research and practice, we have a program that's called Parents Who Lead that uh, we work with uh, all, all different kinds of parents in all different sorts of settings. And what we hear is that people feel isolated, they feel out of control, they feel overwhelmed uh, and reactive to the incessant demands of their daily lives. And what we help them to do is to take a step back, which you have to do to grow as a leader, to step back and look at, well, what's my purpose? What am I trying to accomplish here in my life and in my life as a parent? And in this parenting partnership, which can take all different forms, it's not just married couples, you know, people have parenting partners in different kinds of roles. Stepping back And taking a breath, looking at what really matters, who really matters, and what steps you can take that are within your control that enable you to move a little closer toward that vision of the world you're trying to create. It helps people to gain a greater sense of purpose, a sense of control, uh, and a little bit more harmony and positive impact in the different parts of their lives when you take that view of yourself as a leader, not just at work, no matter what your organizational role, but also in your family and in your community and for yourself personally. Looking at your life as a whole and how parenting fits in that helps you to gain a greater sense of control and clarity of purpose. Right. So so part of the framework 
for this book comes from a previous book you wrote called Total Leadership. Can you explain the concept of the four-way view and why that's important to solving the kinds of challenges you talked about? Yeah. Back in 1991, when I founded the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project, and in the same year, the Wharton Leadership Program, one of the things that we set out to discover was how do people who are good at this work-life integration game, how do they do it? And what we found is that they follow three basic principles. Understand what's important to them in the different parts of their lives. Understand who's important to them. And then continually experiment with how you get things done. So to be real, to be whole, and to be innovative. And one of the ways in which we began to then research and teach people how to see those different parts of their lives in a, in a way that made sense to them was to take what we call the four-way view. Look at your work, your home, your community, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit, and ask yourself, how important right now are these different parts of your life to you? Take 100 points and divide them up according to how important they are. Now, in a typical week or month, where do you focus your attention? Where's your mind? your most precious asset as a leader. And take another 100 points and divide those up. And how satisfied are you in the different parts of your life? Simple rating scale of 1 to 10. And rate how satisfied you are now with the different parts of your life. How are things going? And how well are you performing in meeting the expectations of the most important people in those different parts? That's the four-way view. That's taking the four-way view, taking a, a picture of your current reality so that you can then get a sense for what's working, what's not, and what steps you might then take to adjust that are within your control that are good for them, good for us, rather, and good for yourself that enable you to create a greater sense of alignment or purpose. So the four-way view is a tool, really, just for seeing your life as a whole, taking in that reality, because not everything... Uh, that that we face can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced, as the great James Baldwin once said. And that's that's what you have to do as a leader: is look at your reality as clearly as you can, uh, with uh, an unfiltered view of what's actually going on, not what's in your head about what's going on, and see if you can make it better. Well, now looking at your performance in these four areas, I mean, it's hard as a parent to not compare yourself other parents, right? So one of the things you mentioned in your book is the compare and despair trap. So can you talk a little bit about that and how to overcome it? The compare and despair trap is, uh, is a trap that far too many people, parents especially, fall into. And that's uh, you know, judging your own uh, value and your, your own sense of competence and uh, your legitimacy as, as a parent by seeing yourself in comparison to other people. And we know from years and years and years of psychological research that when you uh, are too much influenced in your own assessment of your value in the world, your value as a person, and your value as a parent, by the internalized sense of how others are doing, and it's almost always the sense that they're doing better than you, that you you tend to turn those ill you know, feelings on yourself and it results in a kind of downward spiral that um, depresses and inhibits your capacity to innovate and to make things better and to continue to persist in trying to make things better for yourself 
and your family and your business and your community. So one of the things that we focus on in the book and in the workshops is to help people to realize everyone's different. This was the mantra in our household when the kids were young, growing up in our house, uh, because we, we tried to help them to see that you're all different from each other. We had three kids. Uh, we're different from each other. Everyone's different. No one is the same. Everyone's on a different path. And the, the key is to focus first internally. That's why we start with this principle of being real, your values, your vision. That's the foundation. That's the root for leaders, for parents. Who are you? What do you care about? Where are you going? And surprisingly, perhaps, you, you, you might note that people are afraid to do that. It, it takes some courage to, to take a candid look at, well, what do I really want? What, what is my life all about? Why am I a parent? Why am I doing this? Um, but it's, it's liberating to do that. And that's one of the reasons why we have coaching as a part of the work that we do, because uh, it's very hard on your own in social isolation to take a, um, a, a candid look at yourself, because it's very easy to fool yourself. So to have a clearer sense of who you are, where you're going, it's useful to write about these things, your values, your vision, who the most important people are, and share that with a couple of other people, starting with your partner. And, and, and to coach each other. And so we train people on how to be an effective peer coach. And it doesn't take a lot. Uh, any, anyone can do it. You just have to have uh, a healthy dose of compassion and curiosity and an openness, a commitment to being open and to inquiring of each other about what it is that really matters to you and who really matters to you. So when you do that in a social context, when you're coaching each other, you're much more likely to be um, eventually aware of what's, what's inside of you. And that gives you the ground, that gives you the strength, that gives you the capacity to persist in the face of the social comparisons, which are inevitable. Because especially in the digital era, in the social media world, where it's very easy to, uh, to look at the, you know, the polished, uh, often false images that people self-present online, uh, and say, wow, how come I don't have a cool vacation like that? Or wow, how come my kids don't have beautiful clothes like that? Or wow, how come my kids are not going to this school? Or whatever it is. Uh, so focusing inside, first and foremost, building a network of people around you who are going to help you to see yourself for who you are and the value that you bring, uh, that helps to cut into the uh, compare and despair, and despair trap. Right. So, well, so parents can share with each other uh, their values, and they can be on the same leadership page. Well, what's the best way to engage the kids along those lines? Uh, this seems to be the most fun and uh, and enlightening aspect of our program so far, and this is what people are, are asking most about. How do I connect with my kids in a more meaningful way? And uh, the really good news here is that it doesn't really take a lot to do that. Any Anyone can do it. But most of us are running on autopilot, not thinking about what we bring to our children, acting, uh, unfortunately, as the micromanagers that we hate at work uh, by simply saying, do this, do that, and don't question why I'm your parent, so this is it. Uh, no one wants to be managed that way. 
It's not an effective way to be to be managing people. We know. Uh, why do we treat our kids that way? Well, um, so so the the beginning part for uh, for parents who want to build greater trust and, and understanding and have more fun and more meaningful connections with their kids is simply to first get on the same page with your partner. Here's what I think Junior needs from me. What do you think Junior needs from you as a parent, as, as a leader in our family? And to talk about that candidly. And usually parents have different views as to what their kids need. And so just having that conversation is a benefit to the partnership, to the parenting partnership. And, of course, it helps the kids because uh, those conversations usually lead to a better understanding of what it is that we need to find out from, from Junior when we approach him, let's say it's a male child, as someone who we want to hear from. And that can be a very different conversation, of course, if your child is four than if you know he's 14 or 24 uh, or 40, for that matter. Um, but it's important to do it, and all kinds of interesting things come up, and there's always some surprise, and it's usually uh, you know, funny and mysterious. Uh, one single dad uh, who's, who was very interested in trying to convey the value of learning to his son asked, uh, so, you know, what is it that's important to you in terms of what you want to learn? He asked his son. And his son said, yeah, there, there is something I want to learn about, Dad. And the father said, well, great. What is it? I want to learn how to vacuum. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, the, the dad was incredulous, but that's what he said. You, you're going to be surprised. Uh, but the key is to, to treat each child differently and to uh, and to think about well, what is it that I think this child needs from me, and then to try to find a way to convey to them, Junior, here's what I think is important to you. Do I have it right? What am I missing? And to encourage a child to tell you, what's a good dad look like? What what does a good mom really provide? Um, we give some guidance on that. We are not uh, child therapists. We're organizational psychologists, but we have distilled the essential literature on child development. You know, what is it that children need and, and how do you think about each child with respect to what your children need? Safety and security, love and attention, uh, moral direction, and some sense of expectations as to what's accepted and what's not. Um, how do you think about those things with respect to each of your children? And then building trust, gaining new knowledge as to what they really want from you by listening to them, talking to them. Right. All right. Well, care, caregivers also play a big role in many of our lives, and, and especially with single parents. And how, should, uh, how should parents go about engaging caregivers in this kind of conversation? Should they? Well, of course. As a leader, uh, as a parent who is someone who is leading – their lives and helping their children to grow on a strong foundation. You've got to think about who are the important stakeholders in the future of my life, my family? Who matters? Well, it's, it's not just your kids. Uh, it's your boss, your coworkers, clients, customers, people at work, you know, the network of people in your professional life. And then it's your, uh, your extended family as well as your community, friends, uh, neighbors, social groups, etc., and especially the people who care for your children or help you to care for your children. Most people uh, 
who are listening to this right now are uh, who who are working parents probably have people that are helping them do that, whether it's childcare providers or teachers or others. So those people are very important to you. And it's useful to talk to them too, in a different way than you talk to your kids, of course, but a similar kind of dialogue to build trust, strengthen connections, to enable you to lead them into the future that you're trying to create. So talk to them. Here's what I think is important to you, dear child care worker, teacher. So sharing those values. Sharing those values and also sharing your perception as to what they need from you to help them do what it is that is important to them. And the more you know about what they care about, the easier it is for you to make adjustments that enable you to help them to do what it is that they want to do, not only for your child, but perhaps in other parts of their professional lives or in their lives. And the more you can do that, the more trust you grow in the network of people surrounding you that matter most to you. And of course, this is what leaders do every day, the good ones. They're building trusting relationships with people around them so that when they're trying to make moves to make things better, to create change, they're going to have support for that. So uh, child care workers and teachers who are far too undervalued in our society um, benefit a lot from respectful inquiry as to their interests. And to treat them as a, as a service provider uh, that you're paying for and that you're the customer is usually a very bad approach. Mm. I mean, it sounds like, as in a, a good organization, so much of this depends on really good, clear communication. So, so where do you see some of the breakdowns happening? What are, what are some of the main stumbling blocks that come into play here? That's a great question. They are, there are many. Uh, mostly the, the problem is that uh, people are depressed and non-reflective, reactive, and they, they, they feel rushed and tend to be um, abrupt in their interactions, especially uh, with people that they see every day and they take for granted. Uh, so the big problem is in not taking a breath and being a bit more mindful about who you're talking to and what do they see when they look at you. To pause for a moment and take what I call the leadership leap. Look inside their heads, their hearts, and through their eyes, see yourself. What do they see? And that's generally a good exercise, and it doesn't take much to do that. You just pause for a moment and ask yourself, what is it that this person needs from me that I can provide that's going to help them and help them in a way that actually serves my interests as well? And that's really the heart of leadership, uh, how you help other people see that what you're trying to do is good for them and for you. But it doesn't happen by magic. No one's going to do that for you. You have to do that, which is why it's so important to think of yourself as a leader as a parent, not as someone demanding things of other people, but as inspiring other people to move with you forward. You write a, a lot in the book about the experimental mindset. Can you describe what that is and why it's important? Yes, uh, it is essential to think of yourself as someone who is continually innovating, as the great leaders do. They never stand still. They're always looking for better ways to get things done and to uh, enable the people around them to help them to make things better. So I like to think of uh, us as 
as, as scientists in the laboratory of our lives. And that we're always looking for new knowledge, trying to develop better knowledge about our world. So to experiment is to think about what you can do to make things better for you and for the people around you. And you get a lot smarter about the kinds of things you can do if you begin with what really matters to me, who really matters to me, what do they really need, not what I think they need. Because when you have those stakeholder dialogues, whether it's with your kids, your caregivers, your boss, what you, what you typically find, and we have a lot of evidence on this, is that what other people expect of you is a little different than what you thought. And it's also generally a little less than what you thought, which is a very important insight and quite liberating because you realize that there's less stress on you than you are carrying around in your head because you've got these inflated views of what other people actually expect of you. So you learn from these conversations and from developing the skill to talk in ways that each of the different people who matters to you can tell you what they really need. You learn what it is that they actually need, and that frees you up to be a little more courageous about taking some new action that's going to make things better for you and for them. So in the book, we describe the six categories that we've created of different kinds of experiments that, that parents do when they go through this process of discovery to see, well, what can we change? Well, we can practice shared values. And so some families decide, hey, let's put on a board uh, the, the four or five things that, that stand for who we are as a family. And, and by doing that, you're, you're serving all kinds of interests, not just your kids and yourself, but you're also realizing the power of articulating values. Um, a number of the experiments involve uh, time, quality time, un interrupted, undistracted time away from uh, whatever those distractions might be, and it's usually the digital world. So all kinds of experiments with uh, playing board games, going for walks uh, in the community that might involve uh, picking up trash uh, as a way to signify the important value of caring for the environment while interacting with neighbors, uh, to learning how to or experimenting with how you delegate with people at work so that you can free up time for your family while enabling people at work to become uh, more capable and perhaps learning something about what it's like to mentor people, which you can then transfer back to your family to, um, to fundraising. So one of the more uh, powerful uh, stories in the book is about a couple who had a child with a rare genetic disorder that um, and they're both successful, you know, ambitious, mid-30s rising uh, people in, 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 in their respective careers. But their child uh, had, this, had this illness and, and the, uh, the woman, uh, it was a heterosexual couple, she was reluctant to talk about it with her boss. But she decided after doing this self-reflection and talking to her spouse and coaches, hey, I'm going I'm to bring this up because it's an important part of who I am and my boss should know about it. And they also decided together as a couple to do a fundraiser for research on this, on this disorder, which turned out to be really successful and helped them to see that they could take action and not be reactive uh, and dependent uh, on the help of others. They could actually take their, their hardship and their you know, keen focus on this particular illness and convert that into a social benefit 
you know, that was going to that was going to be useful for others. And when her boss heard about this and saw that she was interested in trying to make an impact and that this was an important part of who she was, that actually elevated in his eyes his perception of her leadership capacity. And he saw from this initiative that she'd undertaken that she had more leadership potential than he'd earlier seen. So by coming forward with something that was really important in her life, uh, to to bring that to her work environment in a way that was not demanding something, not asking for any special favor, but by revealing aspects of who she was that affected her capacity to deliver at work, she created all kinds of new support for her and potential for her to have greater impact at work. Those are some examples. There's lots more, great and everyone examples. does something That's different. A great example. If, so if parents are interested in incorporating leadership techniques into parenting, what would you say is sort of the first step to take, the biggest first step to take? Well, first, don't be afraid to think of yourself as a leader at, at home. Some people think, oh, I, what am I going to be, like uh, spreadsheets and a business person uh, with my kids? No, that's, that seems inappropriate. And you know, it might be, although some, some people in our program are really excited about taking all the things that they know about how to lead at work and, re- and realizing, wait, this is something that I can use with my home um, and, and my kids and, and indeed with my friends. It's going to help me. A lot of, a lot of the experiments people do uh, have to do with uh, uh, just being better at coordinating logistics and using tools for helping them do that. So the, the place to start um, – as we start in, in the book, in Parents Who Lead, is to take a, uh, a look at yourself and your values. That is the starting point. Uh, it, it might seem trite, uh, but it is essential. And indeed, some people, they read the first couple of chapters or they do the first bit of work on identifying their values and their vision, which we have them do by simply describing an ideal day 15 years from now. What would happen, Steve, in that day, 15 years from today, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening? With whom are you interacting? And most importantly, why are you doing what you're doing? What's the impact that you're trying to have? What's the legacy that you're creating? Describe that day. So we have each partner do that, and then they share those. And they realize, oh, wow, these are different. (laughs) Uh, What is it that we have in common? What is it that is unique to each one of us. Now let's develop a shared vision for where we want to go together. And that's a really powerful exercise. And some people, after they do that, they say, you know, we're done. We don't need to do anything more because this has now inspired us to take action immediately to move toward that vision. Why not today? We, of course, want to caution them and say, hang on, it's going to be much more powerful. And ultimately, you're going to be stronger as a leader in your family if you also identify who the most important people are, why they're important to you, what do they need from you, what do you need from them, talk to some of them, enrich you know, the store of information you've got about the reality that you're facing, and then design initiatives, experiments that are going to help you to move closer to your vision. So the starting point, <laughs> I, I gave you a little bit more than the starting point, is, uh, is to look at your current, your current reality in terms of what matters most to you. Stu, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to speak with us today. I think a lot of parents will find this work really valuable. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Much appreciated. Thank you. And if you like what you heard, uh, you can hear more interviews like this on knowledge.warden.upenn.edu. 
And you can also find us on your favorite podcast player, so be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 